We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Monday, October 17th. Nick Whalen here with the venerable DJ Trainer. Um, You've used that word a lot to describe me on mini po- podcasts before. Venerable? I don't know what that means. Uh, well, I don't, I don't have the, the exact definition you, the, off the top of my head. The question, but, what I'm getting at is, do you know what that means? Yeah. Here, accorded a great deal of respect, especially because of age, wisdom, or character. None of that is true, but thank you for throwing that in my way. Yeah, uh, it also says it's a title given to an archdeacon. Archdeacon. Okay, see, now we're starting to get more accurate. It's like an Anglican church term. I don't know. That's not really my forte. But anyway, the venerable DJ trainer is here with us. Um, we are now, what, eight days away from the start of the NBA season? Next uh, Tuesday? Next Tuesday, yeah. Coming Cannot close. wait for that. Um, so we'll be, we'll be doing this podcast today. We'll have a podcast with Eric Name from ESPN Milwaukee that we'll post tomorrow. That interview is from last week, but... Uh, thankfully, nothing you know, nothing big happened with the Milwaukee Bucks. No trades or anything like that over the weekend yeah. uh, to talk about just uh, with a, Eric. But just a clean, crisp podcast yep. to post. Yep. Yeah, nothing about Michael Carter Williams. Um, and then, yeah, we'll have two more later in the week as well. So the podcasts are going to keep coming as the season uh, approaches, and obviously, we'll we'll have more in-season material to talk about once that gets underway on Tuesday. But 
I, for one, cannot wait. I mean, I'm really enjoying watching postseason baseball every night. That's been cool. Um, obviously, the NFL and college football have been great this year. Not so much the last couple weekends for Wisconsin. Um, but the NBA season is by far my favorite regular season and my favorite postseason. Yeah, no, I I think that's why we're doing the podcast. I completely agree. I'm a bit tired of this preseason basketball. I think I try to read into it a little too much, and then it's hard for me not to, you know, to think one major way. Uh, when I look ahead at the season, I'm ready to see some real basketball, see these guys actually start to sweat out there. Um, yeah, I mean, we're ready, man. We are ready. We are ready. And so today, as uh as we continue to kind of scrounge for topics, I guess, as the regular season um, nears, we're going to do biggest flaws for each team in the Eastern Conference. We'll get to the Western Conference um, either later this week or next week. Uh, but we'll just go team by team. We'll start from the bottom last year, which means the Philadelphia 76ers are on the clock first. Their biggest flaw heading into the season is? For me, Obviously, he can break it down to X's and O's, but I think there's a larger flaw here, and that's simply the stigma of being the Philadelphia 76ers right now. And that simply means is, you know, this team isn't expected to do well, and therefore that mindset has been somewhat instilled not only in the players, but in the coaching staff and in the organization. Yes, it is a process, but at what point do you flip that switch? I think mentally that's a very hard thing to do, and that's not an easy thing to do. And no, of course, I'm not saying that these players have had the same mantra of you know tanking on purpose but there's just this there's just this stench around the Sixers of being the Philadelphia 76ers during this process and I think that's a hard thing to shake maybe even more so Nick than their lack of backcourt talent or their overall depth Mm -hmm. and and that's a little bit of a hint to what do I put for my biggest weakness the lack of backcourt talent I I do think there is something to to what you're saying as far as, you know, the, I guess, a culture of losing and kind of what that means. But to me, uh, I don't know if that affects the players maybe as much as it does the, the fans or, you know, those who have been in the organization for a while. I mean, most of these guys are so young. Um, you know, Okafor's only been there a year. Obviously, I guess Noel's kind of been there for most of the process. Um, you know, but, but I think, if, you know, if you're Ben Simmons, if you're Dario Saric, you're kind of starting with a clean slate here. Certainly Joel Embiid seems to be optimistic uh, about where this team is going. So, yeah, I mean, I think there is that. I, I think there's – that's just – to me, that's more for the franchise overall is, like, how do you build your image or how do you how do you rebuild your image, I guess, after kind of taking on this, you know, sad uh, – I wouldn't even say lovable loser story because they haven't really been all that lovable the last few years. So here, here's where this really kicks in for me. They st- Let's say they start out the year 3-10, and 10, which is maybe even higher than what we're expecting. That'd be a decent start. That'd be a decent start for them. I think, you know, if if a team like somebody like Orlando started out 3 and 10, mentally they would say, "You know what? Let's like let's let's buck, buckle down here. We can do this. We can turn it around." If you're this Philadelphia team, you've just been hearing it for so long and when you you see and hear that you're 3 and 10, it's kind of like, "All right, this is what was expected of us. We're on course." A team like Orlando 3 and 10 would say, Oh my gosh, we are performing so badly. We need to get in the gym a little bit extra. We need to we need to like pull things together here. And I just think mentally it's really easy to give up and somewhat throw in the towel when when this is expected of you. Um, remember when the Cavaliers a couple of years ago when LeBron first came over 
over and they started, what was it, like 10 for 10. I mean, everything was on fire in that franchise. If Philadelphia started 10 and 10, obviously we're talking about expectations here. Um, So the expectations are lower for them, but I think it's, you know, there's a little more than just very low expectations. I think it's just a built-in mental state that these players and everybody in the organization has operated with for so long. Shaking that stigma uh, and that stigma overall is just a major flaw for this team. I don't care if the players are out there trying as hard as they possibly can. It's something that crosses their mind. All right, that's fair enough. Um, Let's go to the Brooklyn Nets. I wrote everything is their biggest flaw, which is only somewhat tongue-in-cheek. I like Brooke Lopez at center. I think as long as he stays healthy, that prevents this team from, you know, maybe flirting with a single season loss record. I really think that that is somewhat in play if Lopez were to go down at any point. Um, I mean, who is right now the second best player on this team? Probably Jeremy Lin. Um, after that, though, is like, is your third best player Trevor Booker? Is your third best player Bojan Bogdanovic? Right. Maybe Grievous Vasquez I might go with. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there's like seven different guys it could be. Right. And so I I agree that their their flaw is everything. And because everyone is in agreement of that, I don't want to spend too much time on it. But what they need to get out of this season is, you know, they've been drafting later on in drafts too over the last couple of years. So they really need to develop and hope that somebody like a Yogi Ferrell or a Karis LeVert or even a Rondé Hollis Jefferson, um, you know, right. He started his career injured. Um, They drafted him. at a discount, I guess I would say he fell in the yeah. draft and, and and then figuring, you know, all right, we, we can take him at a discount and see what we've got here. And so they took, you know, they've got high upside guys, I guess you can say, but obviously very low floors on their team right now. And just trying to find one diamond in the rough, if they find one or one and a half, that will be a win for them this season because it, they can start to build their their three or four year team down the, down the line. They can start to build the building blocks for that and start to insert them as of right right as of right right now they have no building blocks on this team um, for like the team that they're going to be in four years and you can you, you look at every single team in the NBA and you can take a couple building blocks and put them on the you know the the future four year away from now team for the Brooklyn Nets you just really can't do that yeah that's the thing I mean they're they're in the rare spot where you have you know no young assets maybe outside of Hollis Jefferson who I think is looked at as a as a, a fairly high upside player just because of who else is on this roster like if Hollis Jefferson is on the Celtics right now he's like their 11th best asset yeah and I was I was thinking of Chris McCullough by the way and yeah. the guy, the guy I mean, that he was, was he's in the same boat I mean right yeah same boat where you know like in college these guys were really good but for whatever reason right. their draft stock took a hit uh I mean it's McCullough had a knee injury he was I mean he's pretty raw regardless right. Hollis Jefferson is just you know I mean I think he's one of those guys at a very very high floor I mean He's, he could be in three years. He could be in the rotation for just about any team. But you know, is he ever going to be better? Like to me, he tops out as like a, you know, I, I mean, like an Aaron Aflalo that level of impact sure. player. You know, he's probably more of a front court guy than Aflalo is. But you know, does a lot of things well. Doesn't do anything really well. Can be a really good defender. I mean, like that's great. Like every team likes him. But like that guy can't be your second best player or your second best asset. So the, you know, no draft pick again this year. Or at least I think they swap with Boston. So. This is this is the draft I think it's really going to hurt because you know Boston wasn't able to jump up the last two years to you know to get a, a number one or a number two pick they've they've gotten some good assets uh, you know guys like Smart and uh, you know Jalen Brown this last year but you know if this is the one that you know the Nets get the number one or number two pick even if they end up with the third or fourth pick with as strong as this draft is I think it's going to be tough to to endure what's going to be a very rough season on the court and then 
you know, see Boston or, you know, if that trick, that, that pick has ended up being traded at some point to see another team, you know, grab a, a big, big time asset is going to sting. But that's what happens when you go all in and trade your entire future for Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And to recap, their weakness is everything. Let's yep. move on. All right. Uh, who do we have next here? The New York Knicks. All right. I don't hate the Knicks all that much. I will be rooting for the Knicks. Okay, and it's interesting. We had Kale Chenard on, on our podcast about last week, and he thinks that they're going to be a disaster. Uh, we, I asked him, you know, what, is, what are you most looking forward to this season? Out of everything he could have chose, he said being able to, like, finally see that this Knicks team is a disaster because that's what he's kind of pegging yeah. and think is going to happen. And you know what? I think there's some truth to that. There's a lot of big names on this team. You look across the five starters and you say, wow, these are some good names. But you know what? These guys, like KL was saying, are going to have a really hard time meshing. Uh, he may light of Derrick Rose is certainly going to have trouble leading this team, especially if they're going to do um, – I think – Hornacek has said they're going to run parts of the triangle, but they're not going to fully commit to it. Even so, Derrick Rose is going to have trouble um, in a lot of systems that he plays in and in terms of maximizing the potential of everyone around him. Carmelo needs the ball in his hands, except everybody wants to see it in Kristaps' hands. Noah is going to play some role, but we don't quite know. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here, and I think their biggest weakness right now is trying to figure out all these moving parts and considering that the Eastern Conference standings were so close last year, you know, if it takes you 25 games to figure it out, it might be too late in the long run. So what is the biggest weakness then? Uh, Chemistry. Chemistry. Essentially, yeah, if we want to boil it down to one word, I think chemistry granted, there's a lot of big names here, a lot of talented players, but getting those guys to mesh is going to be an issue. All right. I think that's fair. Um, I really like the top four for this team, and for me, the fourth guy is Courtney Lee, not not Derek Rose. I, you know, Mello, Przingis. I think what you know what they've done, Przingis already. You know, even going into a second year, I think you know everybody knows what he's about, and you know what kind of trajectory I think we're on. And you know, I, in a lot of ways, you're relying on him to take a major, major leap if you think this is a playoff team. Um, but but I think you know, Joe Kim Noah. The Bulls got almost nothing out of last year with the injury and and just kind of how beaten up he had, he had been. And I think. You know, taking basically you know two thirds of last season off to recover, you know, after undergoing surgery and just just kind of rest his body, I think is going to do him good. Um, you know, he's not that old. I think it's easy to forget how good he was. You know, two three years ago, um, you know, he's not going to be defensive player of the year, Joe Kim Noah. But even if he gives you eighty percent of that, you know, it's better than what the Knicks had last year. It's a hell of a lot better than he than he was with Chicago for the last year and a half. So, I think that'll be a big upgrade. Uh, I like Courtney Lee at the two. I'm not high on Rose. I mean, part of me just kind of hopes that Brandon Jennings is able to play 30 minutes a game just for pure entertainment. Yeah. Uh, but the real weakness is this bench. I mean, this is this is a really this is a bottom three, bottom four bench. Um, I mean, your best bench player might be Lance Thomas. Yeah, it's tough because assuming Brandon Jennings does come off the bench, I think that that boosts them up a little bit, at least in terms of name recognition. But in terms of actually, you know, getting out there and trying to get buckets and defend on defense, second teams against second teams, yes, they're going to have a whole lot of trouble. I do like Lance Thomas quite a bit. He's been kind of an unsung hero for a couple teams the last year. Um, for the Thunder a couple years ago when when both Durant and when Westbrook went down, he, he played 
I mean, he was just a minutes hog in the best possible way in terms of, you know, not being a negative on defense while not really helping on offense, but at least being a solid piece. You know, he can help out this Knicks team. And of course, he was awarded a contract as such. Um, He's not going to do much for you on offense, but I think there's a little bit to work here with Nick um, if you have Brandon Jennings running the offense, just because we know he, you know, if you need a bucket, he's going to go out there and get it for you. And I think that's a little bit more than a lot of other second units have in the NBA. So at least they have that going for them that they do have somebody who can score on their second team. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like there's going to be nights where he goes one for nine and he turns it over a few times and you know launches one too many threes off the dribble. But there's also going to be nights where Brandon Jennings maybe wins you a game yep. because he gives you seven really really good minutes yeah. in a row. Yep. Or you know you're down eleven, the starters come out flat. Brandon Jennings comes in and hits back to back threes. Like that's exactly. what he's there for. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's a light version of Jamal Crawford, I think, at the yes. point guard position in a lot of ways where you know, he can shoot you out of some games, but he's also never going to be timid to try to shoot you back into it. So. I mean, he's the perfect guy, really, to to play in New York, and it seems like he's always been on that crash course for for some time now. Uh, The Milwaukee Bucks, this one was easy to me. Um, Lack of three-point shooting. You know, losing Chris Middleton is such a a huge, huge blow, and um, we talked a lot about that with Eric Name, and he he had a lot of great points, you know, kind of delving into the numbers there uh, of what the loss of Middleton is going to mean. You know, 10 of the top 12 teams in made threes last season made the playoffs. There, there isn't a direct correlation. You know, you, if you rank in the top 12, you're not automatically making the playoffs, but there's a pretty good chance. It helps your chances when you're a proficient three-point shooting team. Philadelphia and Phoenix were the only teams in the top 12. And trying to, yeah, and they were trying to shoot their way back into right. games. Well, that, sure. That, I mean, they just, you know, those were the only two that didn't make the playoffs. And then you look at the bottom 12 teams in made threes last season, only three of those teams made the playoffs. San Antonio, which, you know, is... Just, just the way that they defend the three-point line on the other end, like it, it kind of offsets uh, Memphis and Miami were the other two. So, you know, there are exceptions. Um, but when you look at teams like, you know, Miami has arguably the best rim protector in the league, San Antonio, San Antonio. Memphis was so well coached last year. And just, just the way that they play basketball, it's kind of easy to see why those three teams were able to survive not being good three-point shooting teams. But the Bucks don't really have, you know, those those same kind of stylistic similarities that those other three teams do. Like, if you're going to be a bad three-point shooting team, you need to defend like crazy. The Bucks didn't do that last season. Uh, they did it two years ago, though. So that's kind of what's interesting is they've proven that they don't have to be a, you know, a volume three-point shooting team to win. Uh, but you can't be a bad defensive team and a bad three-point shooting team. That's what happened last year, and it, and it resulted in kind of a disastrous season. Yeah, so I, I completely agree with you. Lack of three-point shooting, that's obvious. We've talked about it in the past on tomorrow's podcast with Eric Name. You're going to hear us talk about it even more. Uh, one more layer I'll add on to that, so, and we can move on, since obviously we're spending a whole pot on Milwaukee tomorrow. A big weakness for me, maybe more so than their lack of three-point shooting, is just the lack of defined roles on this team. When I look at their depth chart, it just seems so wacky. I was talking to you about this uh, over the weekend, Nick, and obviously having you know a 6'10 point guard uh, mixes things up, but the fact that Rashad Vaughn is starting at small forward, and then you know, you've know you got Greg Monroe coming off the bench, where is Thon Maker going to fit into this mix? Jabari Parker, I guess we've settled on him being a power forward, but then again, we, we flirted with him being a small forward I guess Delhi is going to have to play some shooting guard but really he's going to be guarding the best point guard on the opposing team uh you know the fact that your starting point or your starting small forward right now is Rashad Vaughn right and he is listed at 6'6 and then your backup small forward is Mirza Toledovic who is somebody who's 6'9 I guess it's not a biggest difference that I thought and then Tony Snell where does he fit into this it just seems that having a lot of positionless players 
actually hurts this team. Now, one of the biggest upside things about Giannis is that he can play wherever you want him, but we have a lot of other players like that too, almost to the point where it's a negative, and I'm starting to view it as a negative when you have too many of those guys on the same team. I'm not sure if if you're trending that way or not, um, but that's something I'm starting to see, and it's really starting to stick out with me with the starting five of Rajan Devon at small forward, Delhi at shooting guard, and then Giannis at point guard. I, I, I don't know, but I, I, I think it is a negative. All right, the Orlando Magic, um, another team with, with point guard issues. I, you know, the development of Alfred Payton hasn't been ideal so far, but but he does still have those nights every now and then that, that kind of remind you of of why they like him. But uh, for me, it, it, it's a mixture. You know, their biggest flaws are are that lack of point guard depth. You know, whether you include Payton in that or just look at who's behind him on the depth chart, I think that's going to be an issue. Um, and they, they just they have. Too much in the front court. Um, you know, Bismack Bayambo, good player. Nick, Nick Vucevic, good player. Serge Ibaka, great player. Jeff Green, decent starting caliber player. Aaron Gordon. I think if you can keep three of those five, you're in better shape almost than having all five. It, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they use Gordon, how they use Green, what that means for Mario Hazonia. You know, with Evan Fournier probably seeing around 30, 35 minutes some nights at shooting guard. Um, there's talent on this roster. This is maybe the most talented, you know, top six or seven that they've had in the last five or six years, but I don't know how it all fits together. So I, I had trouble coming up with one word being their weakness. And so this is what I wrote down from my notes, not sold on young talent and the front office is scary to work with. Obviously that's not very poetic, but let me explain myself here. We're not so certain that Hazonia is going to be a bona fide player in this league, mostly because in his rookie season, he just didn't see that many minutes. We need to see him more on the court. So that's a big unknown. Aaron Gordon, he's been shifted around so much. At the end of last year, he started to see a lot of minutes. That was great. But again, he's not somebody that we've seen enough minutes to make a definitive answer. Is he a starter in this league? Should he be a small forward? Should he be a power forward? Should they go small and put him at center? We really don't know. And so having that unknown, um, and Alfred Payton, again, there's another one that is he a top point guard in this league no he's not and we're starting to kind of come to that realization but I still think that there's a lot of value out there for him all that said major question marks around him being a point guard I I think that's fair and so not being sold on this young talent it's not something like you have a Phoenix Suns team a Phoenix Sun teams with Devin Booker and you know he's going to be a shooting guard for as long as possible right so when you look at the young talent on the magic we don't know that Evan Fournier and Noah's locked up but again not quite that solid piece that we think in the front office I mean the fact that they composed this team the way they did almost lends itself lend you know lends us to believe that they're going to have to deal somebody in the front court and having that unknown is not good going into a season like somebody like Nikola Vucevic who's on a very good contract right now very tradable um kind of knowing just by the fact of how much depth they have in the front court that one of those pieces needs to go at some point this year is not a good thing and I view it as a negative so that jumbled all together is my biggest weakness for Orlando I think a lot of things are just up in the air right now and and that's not good. You need stability in order to move forward. They don't quite have that yet. That's all fair to me. Washington Wizards. Um, I'll let you go first. Okay, so I think that they don't have any bench at all. And I think that they're more in trouble, Nick, than the Knicks are. Because if I'm looking for scores off the bench, I guess I'm going with somebody like a Marcus Thornton because Trey Burke is your backup point guard. And by no means has he proven to you that he is going to be a shooter. And he's certainly not an efficient shooter. Kelly Oubre is, is going to 
you know, challenge Otto Porter for minutes. But regardless of which one starts, the other one doesn't necessarily make the bench better because Otto Porter is better fitting into a larger system around him. Jason Smith, Jan Mahimi, I mean, give me a break. I, I think they have a terrible bench. That said, I like their starting five quite a bit, but the bench for me is a glaring alarm. And when you started talking about the top three bottom bench, I think these guys are certainly in that conversation. Yeah, I, I mean, it de- it depends, I guess, you know, what you think of, of certain guys, you know, like like Jason Smith, like Jan Mahimi, like Kelly Oubre. Um, I just don't think those guys can help you score at all. I, th- I think Oubre is going to be a better player this year. I, I think he'll, he'll surprise some people. Um, I don't really know if we ever really got to see just quite how good he could be like, at the college level, even. He was on such a loaded Kansas team, and it was it just never felt like he really reached his peak. I think he he could have, you know, with a better college season, I think he could have been a higher pick and we'd kind of view him differently. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a shallow bench, no matter how you look at it. I mean, it's getting to the point where Johnny O'Brien might make this team. If that, that's usually a pretty good signification uh, that you're, you need. It's the Mendoza line pretty yeah, much. Right. Like if that guy can make the team, then, you know, some, some might be a miss. I think they're expecting a decent amount out of this uh, Thomas Sadoransky. I I've heard some, heard some rumblings, some Sadoransky rumblings. Uh, that's also not, not a great sign. Um, I, I just think you know this team could be a playoff team if Beal and Wall and Porter and Morris and you know one of Gortat and Mahimi are healthy for like seventy five games. Those I like the I like that they're starting five. I like a lot. Addition Mahimi was uh, was nice. I don't even think he's going to start, but I think mm-hmm. he, you know the fact that he can give you that rim protection. You can play. I think you can put Gortat down at power forward in certain lineups. Mm-hmm. Um, you know you still have Markeith obviously who can who can space at the power forward. So I mean. It's not a complete mess, and maybe Scott Brooks kind of works his magic. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that the coaching situation was probably a little bit stale. Uh, you know, had they kept Whitman around, so I mean, it, I love watching John Wall. I, I hope for his sake that the season goes well. But it, this to me could be a team that that gets off to a slow start, and I, I don't know that they have the depth. I don't know that they have like the mental fortitude to like to dig their way out of it. Yeah, I, I think I'm one of the bigger proponents of the starting five. But you're right; if they get in a hole. I don't see them digging their way out of that. For some reason, this one, this team seems, you know, as they're comprised to be in their own heads, probably a little bit too much um, for for a couple different reasons. So we'll see. I I like the starting five, but the bench is so bad that it, it leads me to believe that they could fall out of the playoff race, even in a weaker Eastern Conference. But Chicago Bulls. Chicago Bulls. Too many ball handlers. Uh, I think we agree on that. So that's going to lead to poor spacing. It, you know, we've talked a lot about this Bulls team, and everybody has, just because of the names that they have. It, it They're basically just relying on all of this talent to kind of mesh together, and we've seen that fail with greater talent, you know? Um, you know, we, we, and, yeah, I wouldn't say the, you know, the Miami team certainly didn't fail by any stretch of the imagination, but if, like, if, if you threw that team together and it took them, like, 40 games to right, really become... Right, exactly. Like, I, I don't know what that says about this team. Um, Chicago's and, deeper, I guess, than that Miami team was, but, I mean, this is, like, the worst fit that you could possibly think of for, for, for superstars ever joining forces together. And there's, I guess there's really not that lengthy of a history of, you know, these super teams, quote-unquote, uh, forming, and I don't think this is a super team by any means. But, I mean, it, when people were joking, like, earlier in the offseason before this happened, it was like... You know they could never put Wade and Butler together or Wade and Rondo together, and like all three of them are now together. Like it's it's just a crazy exercise um, to stay relevant by the Bulls and refusal to rebuild. And it might end up in a situation where they kind of have to rebuild because they're not good enough to win, and they have all this money on the books. Like I, 
I just don't like the situation at all. I, I think it's going to backfire for him. Yeah, refusal to, to rebuild is an interesting topic that we should get into some other time, maybe midway through the season when things start to shake out. Um, and, we, and we can talk about where teams should head, you know, if they should keep competing or tank the rest of the way. It's kind of funny that they traded, you know, off the bat when I saw they traded Tony Snell for MCW, it's like, wow, they added another non-shooter to their backcourt. I mean, right, come on, like this is the greatest selection of non-shooters of all time. Right. I mean, they. I think the MCW trade had to happen, and you know, I don't love it for either side. Honestly, I think both teams lost in this trade. Um, but, but I mean, if you're Chicago, if there's one team that you looked at, it was like MCW is just even off because you know you can look at it and say like, oh, if this guy plays like 20 minutes off the bench, he might be pretty good. But if there's one team that could not use MCW, like it's Chicago because like they already have three guys with that, you know similar profile of good defense, no shooting, you know, decent length, athleticism, whatever. It's, you know, I just don't see it. I don't see how that makes sense for them. I mean, he's an intriguing project player, I guess, if you think you can develop him into a shooter, but there's been really no sign that that's happened so far. I think they're looking at him maybe for wing depth or, or defensive wing depth mm-hmm. or something like that because obviously they're not looking for him to come in and, and, and shoot the ball. You would hope not. Uh, that would be that would be trouble. If that's that, would be, that would be immense trouble. It, yeah, it is. I wish, you know what I really, really wish is I wish there was a more tenured coach taking over this team. If we saw a more experienced coach, maybe he could get creative to a point where we would say, wow, this is a coach of the year candidate who can work with these particular guys and their particular set of skills and, you know, get a whole lot, whole lot of wins, make their way into the playoffs. Instead, we have an inexperienced coach in, in Fred Hoiberg who, you know, this might be a death sentence working with these particular you know, it, it's written on the wall, right? That this team should struggle, like on the court, movement the ball, everything. They should struggle, but you know what? It, it's just gonna—I I don't know—it's gonna come back on Hoiberg to a certain extent. I wish, I wish we could have seen, a, like I said, a more tenured coach work with this and see what he could get out of it. Instead, I think it's just gonna be a massive jumble of confusion and chaos. It's interesting, you know, with. with- the exit of Tibbs, like he he really made out in this situation, you know. Yeah. That was such a it was a, such a weird, ugly divorce, and you know the Chicago front office is is tough to to work with, I guess, in a lot of ways. And Tibbs really came out of this on the positive side because he's he's in a much better situation now. He has more control now. He has mm-hmm. a, a better roster. Like things are trending in opposite directions. Um, yeah, I, I think he he probably looks up and down the Chicago team and is glad that he you know is now in Minnesota. Yeah. All right, Detroit. So I think they're relying way too heavily on five guys. That's not a crazy thought at all. Uh, Van Gunny just kind of runs his five starters into the ground. Uh, granted, you know, he got a lot of success at them and we're, we're kind of projecting them to maybe do even better because they really caught fire at the end of last year. Um, obviously Reggie Jackson out for an extended period of time having Ish Smith in there that's the issue here is that one, if one of these five guys goes down when I talk about the five guys I mean Jackson Caldwell Pope Morris Harris and Drummond um, you know if one of those guys goes down then you have trouble because essentially all those guys are going to average at least 32 minutes a game you would think and just reinserting like a Reggie Bullock into a role or inserting Ish Smith into that same role where they're spending that much time on the court. It's, it's trouble when you have your bench players only coming onto the court for limited action. It lends, it lends for issues when you actually need to rely on them in, in, in high leverage situations. And so while I like the five and I think they could be a good team this year, there's some serious issues at hand with relying on just five guys and only five guys. Right, and I'm trying to pull up um, 
the numbers from from last season as far as you know the, there there was some kind of huge discrepancy as far as like five man lineups it detroit's you know top five players in minutes or you know the the lineup of five who had played the most was like far and away the most used lineup right in the n b a last season and yeah, I think it's fair to question, you know, if you if you can rely on that to happen again. And we already are seeing Reggie Jackson, you know, he's going to miss time to begin the year. And, you know, obviously that's probably not related at all. But, um, I mean, KCP, 76 games last year. Morris, 80. Tobias Harris played every game, you know, after he came over from the trade. 81 for Drummond, 79 for Reggie Jackson, 73 for Johnson. I mean, if, as far as, you know, the modern NBA goes, uh, they were about as healthy as it gets. And it was, you know, kind of barely enough to sneak in as the eight seed. So, um, you know, I think Detroit is, is going to get better overall. You know, most of these guys that I just named are young players, and it's fair to expect them to to, to make a leap. But I think health-wise, you know, things went about as well as it could have last season. And it didn't necessarily, you know, result in this this dominant year. I mean, they won 44 games. So, um, what I wrote down was the, the limitations of, of Andre Drummond. I think yeah. he's turned into a really, really good player. He's still super young. Um, it's not really a knock on him at all, but he's still not quite the, the defender that he should be You know, for his size and his athleticism. He hasn't really gotten any better. If anything, he's gotten worse as a free-throw shooter. He doesn't space the floor at all, they, and they don't, they don't necessarily ask him to, so that's not so much of a fault, but not a great passer. Um, you know, I, I think he's, he's awesome at what he does. You know, he's the best rebounder. You know, maybe, but but when we're talking five, ten years, he might be the best rebounder of like this generation, honestly, with some of the numbers that he puts up. Um, but he's still not efficient around the hoop. I mean, I think he's, like I said, he still has time to to kind of develop those things. But until he does, I, I don't see this team taking the next step because as much as I love Harris and Johnson and Jackson and Luer and all those guys, you know, those guys are nothing more than the third best player on like a real contender, third, fourth. You know, they need Drummond to be a top 10 or 15 player in the league if, if this is going to be more than just a, a nice little three- or four-year run as kind of a Hawks team that can maybe get to the second or third round, but you know they're not a really serious contender. Yeah, and I, I would say fourth with a lot of – like KCP and Marcus Morris – I mean, it seems like me, like on a championship team, they would be like the fifth go-to option on a starting five, um, and they would fit in and, and you know play reliable minutes but not necessarily be a focal point by any means. But what you have is kind of a collection of those type of players, yeah. and, and they work really well. And, and, and seeing a lot of minutes together obviously does bode well for you. If, if, if everybody's going to stay healthy in the playoffs, have so many, ra- I mean, so many minutes racked up together, I think by force Van Gundy um, – put a lot of wisdom into that five, right? So just by spending so much time together, I think they're going to be better off for it over the next couple of years. And maybe he tries to work in some bench players, but you know what? You look at this bench and there's really not a lot of options to do that. John Lure, I like as a, you know, a, stretch five or a stretch four and Henry Ellenson we'll see what we have out of him but he's a he's a few years away from legitimately contributing Stanley Johnson I mean very talented player um and I think he fits in with a KCP and Marcus Morris style but this is somebody who only averaged uh let me pull it up here 23 minutes off the bench and I think he had the most bench minutes out of anybody on this Detroit Pistons team I'm assuming Aaron Baines came in after that with about 18 or something like that so that really goes to show you Drummond played 81 games last year 81 82 and he averaged 33 minutes per game if we're talking about a 611 guy 279 over the course of the next couple of years is he really going to be able to stand up I, I don't know I, I mean he's still so young I'm not necessarily worried about you know am I gonna like, try to predict an injury based on usage or whatever I mean that just seems to be so case by case but 
it just just overall, you know, can that five top, you know, top five, top six guys, can they all be healthy for, you know, almost the entire year again? We'll see. And I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I like this Detroit bench. I, I don't think it's quite all that shallow. I mean, it, it was odd to me that they, you know, when Reggie Jackson went down and immediately shifted to, you know, we're shopping for another point guard. So, okay. One, he's only going to miss like a month or two, yeah. right? Like probably, probably closer to a month. Um, and then at that point, you know, he returns as your high usage, you know, 35, 36 minute guy, um, you know, kind of close to where he was last year. So I, I think Ish Smith is a fine backup, right? Yeah. And I, I get that, you know, he's not a guy that you want leading your team necessarily, but for a month, like, is it worth trading away one of these guys? Like you're, how much better of an option are you going to get? Than Ish Smith, and then what happens when Reggie Jackson comes back? Ish Smith is one of the most disrespected players in the NBA. There's obviously something that we're not seeing, Nick, and it's not a character issue. I've I've heard many people who have have worked closely with with Ish. Uh, say that he's one of the more nicer guys, one of the more cordial guys in all of the NBA, one of the more likable guys. And so the fact that he gets, he keeps getting tossed around, tossed around and tossed around, it just baffles me. I think I might be reading too much into his box score because in terms of, you know, stats, he does put up good stats when he's on the court, but there's something we're missing. And uh, maybe Detroit just realized how fragile they were beyond the number one option yeah, at his position. I think, yeah, I think it's unrealistic to expect to upgrade from Smith you know, in right. time. So yeah, exactly. I, think, I think it was maybe a, you know, we're not sold on Lorenzo Brown and Ray McCallum and we don't want to go into the first month of the season with no point guard besides sure. Ish Smith. Um, I mean, it sounds like Stanley Johnson's going to get yeah. some run there, which I like. I think if it's between that and going and acquiring, you know, like a, like a CJ Watson caliber point guards, like just, just throw Stanley Johnson in there. Like you'll be fine. All right. Indiana. Uh, so this one's tough for me. I'm going to go with chemistry from the start. I talked about earlier, um, I was talking about it with, uh, I think New York in saying that, yeah, they have a lot of good players across the starting, starting five, but if it takes them 25 to 25 games to develop that chemistry, it might be a little too late in a contested East. Um, so Teague, Ellis, George, Young, Turner, I like it a lot, but I just don't know if so most importantly those top four guys so very very experienced guys teague ellis george and young i think those guys can get along at some point within the first 15 20 games but then it's like how does Miles turner not only fit into this team but fit into the broader nba and so this chemistry i don't know if it's going to develop until halfway through the year where they're really firing on all cylinders i think this has a chance this team has a chance to be one of the better teams in the east but maybe next year not quite this year I'm I'm all in on Indy. I've I've heard of I think they're probably maybe one of the two or three most polarizing teams right now as as we talk to people, you know, around the league and I think Eric had said that he's not in on them. Um or was it KL? One of the two I remember, you know, was just very, very anti Indiana, which I guess I can see it. Like the coaching change is what scares me the most. And like the chemistry thing, I think, you know, if you have Frank Vogel here, that's not as much of an issue, but you know, not only are you bringing in, uh, you know, at least two new starters, you're also bringing in a brand new coach, brand new system. You know, Paul George, I don't think has ever had another coach uh, besides Frank Vogel in the, in the NBA. So I, you know, it depends what you think of Paul George, I guess. I, I think pretty highly uh, of Paul George. I think he's coming off of his best season. Um, efficiency wise, you'd like him to be better than a 40, 42% shooter. I mean, he has to get up over 45. I think 42 is, you know, kind of unbearably low for, for a player of his size who, and to be fair, he did you know, take a career high number of threes last year. Um, but I, I think if he has another, you know, top 10 MVP type of season, like, like he did for a lot of last year, that's going to be enough to, to kind of keep this team hanging around. I mean, they're starting five, like you said, might be a top five starting five in the East. Um, you know, Monte Ellis, 
is still somewhat of a liability. It depends what you think of Teague. I think he's going to be fine, you know, coming back home. This isn't like they're exiling him out of Atlanta or anything. Um, and Thaddeus Young, I mean, one of the more underrated power forwards of the last five or six years. So, you know, the bench isn't all that great. Um, how Al Jefferson fits in today's NBA, let alone this roster, you know, remains a question. CJ Miles constantly seems to be banged up. Um, you know, you're looking at Lavoy Allen behind behind Thaddeus Young at power forward and and Rodney Stuckey was one of the one of the worst, maybe the worst player who saw consistent minutes in the playoffs <laughs> last year. Um, so the, yeah, I mean there are questions, but I think if if everybody stays relatively healthy, especially George, this should be a playoff team. Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets. What do you think as their biggest weakness? I think I think they lack rim protection right now. Um, you know, losing um, the name completely escapes me now. Not 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 thinking of Al Jefferson. I swear. <laughs> I think lose? you're thinking of Al Jefferson. Maybe I am. I don't. Yeah, maybe I've gotten confused. But I guess yeah. I mean, you you have Roy Hibbert, who I th- is Roy Hibbert the same rim protector that he was, you know, when he was kind of pioneering the verticality rule a few years ago. Maybe not. Right. I, I do like the deal they brought him in on. It was you know kind of sure. it was like the equivalent of a veteran's minimum in you know this current off season environment. Um, so I, I like what they did there. James and I talked about them last week, and he's. He's worried that Kid Gilchrist kind of messes up what they had going last year. Really? And you can kind of see it. I mean, they, they completely changed identities from two seasons ago to last season. You know, went from great defensive team but bad shooting team to really good shooting team, efficient offense, still a pretty good defense but not quite as good. So obviously you lose Kid Gilchrist, the defense goes down, but the shooting was so much better without him You know, being a complete negative there. They say he's a better shooter now. He was a slightly better shooter in the seven or eight games that he played before getting hurt last year. Uh, obviously, we need to see a bigger sample size for that. Um, but but the I guess what I would say is the biggest question mark for me is just can the key players on this team replicate their career years from last year? Kemba Walker, by far best season of his career last mm-hmm. year. Nick Batum, big-time rebound year. was was really, really good. I, I think I was caping for him to be an all-star for a lot of the first half. Triple double, machi- not a machine, but he. I mean, he was up in up in the leaders in terms of triple double yep. first half of last year. Yeah, and now you're asking him to to shift down a shooting guard, which should be fine. But you know, switching things up, you know, after a year like that is always a little bit uh, a little bit iffy. And then Marvin Williams too, who went from you know average to below average stretch four to like forty one percent three point shooter yeah. last year. Like, if those guys can all do that again, yeah, this is probably a, another playoff team. But is it realistic to expect all that? Yeah, I completely agree. That's what I put as my weakness. I think expectations are probably too high coming into this year because you had those all those guys we just mentioned have career years. I mean, career years. For Walker, I think you can argue that. For Batum, you can certainly say that for Marvin Williams as well, most likely as um, too. And so Kid Gilchrist, I, I think they had such a, a good energy when he came back, even for that was like four games in the middle of the year that I think he's going to play a crucial role but the thing is they need to redefine themselves with him on the court for all the reasons that you mentioned Nick and I think because you need to do that and because you need to pivot off of him on defense I think that putting last year's expectations onto this team is not fair and it's unrealistic and I think they'll be fighting that for the majority of this year yeah the nice thing is I mean I think they're still kind of firmly in that mid-tier in the east so I mean they don't what did they win? Forty-eight last year, I think. Um, that could be high, maybe maybe fewer. But but I I don't think they dropped out of that middle tier. Is basically what I'm trying to say. You know, they're still going to be fighting with you know your Detroit's, your Indiana's, your, you know Miami. I think probably dropped out of that. But 
you know, um, 48 wins last sure. year. Yeah, even with those questions, I think they're still firmly in that, that same tier. Boston. No X factor for me. I think you'll agree. Al Horford is potentially somebody who could be taking shots at the end of the game. I don't know. Mid-range elbows if they need a two-pointer. Well, uh, let's clarify what do you mean by X factor specifically. Uh, uh, I guess I just try to find a new way of saying what you said and that they don't have an elite top-tier talent, and that would yeah. some, that's something that could push them over the edge. Cohesively, they really work so well together, but there's not just that little X factor, that you know that, that one star on the team that offensively can take them over the top. Uh, that's their biggest weakness, biggest weakness from my point of view. If that's going to be your biggest weakness, then you have a really good team. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is with these good teams you're kind of scraping, you know, for for major flaws. But no, I, I think the lack of a top top tier talent on this team uh, is the biggest weakness. It's very hard to win at the highest level in the NBA when you don't have that type of player. Uh, I think Horford's close. You know, it's, he adds another really really good player to what's already a, a core that's stocked with six or seven of those guys. Um, so you know, I think it's gonna if it comes down to Boston and Cleveland in the East Finals, you know, it's. It's Cleveland who might have the three best players in that series, but Boston might have numbers, you know, six of the next seven or something yeah. like that. So, you know, there's there's this kind of wildly deep depth that, you know, you when Cleveland went up against Toronto, for example, last year, you know, it was when Scola was on the floor, we're going to attack him. You know, when these when this collection of players is on the floor, we can make a run. Like, with Boston, you never get that. You know, like, there's they their second unit is, you know, will attack you in the, in the same manner as the first unit. And... You know, obviously they have their top five guys that they're going to go with, but they're they're a relentless team and a team that you can't take possessions or you know minutes at a time off against because they don't really stop coming at you. Yeah. The question is like, at some point, talent seems to win out in the NBA, um, and you know, I just I just don't know that you can trust this team to to take down a really really good you know Cleveland team or Golden State team or a Clippers team, whoever it would end up being. Yeah, in a seven-game series. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Atlanta is next on our list. We had that whole pod with KL, so I don't want to get too much into it. I think Dwight Howard being a distraction, how much attention is he getting? Is he happy? Should we go to him? How many times should we go to him? How does Paul Millsap operate in conjunction with Howard? I think that might be their bigness, biggest weakness heading into the season. Yeah, um, I, I, I like Dwight. I think this is going to end up being a good move. I think they had kind of grown stale with the core of, you know, Horford and Teague and Millsap and, uh, and Corver. And obviously two of those guys are still here, but I just think, you know, I, I, I guess this could go badly just because of, you know, what Dwight has become as a commodity in the NBA. <laughs> um, but I, I just don't think they, you know, let's, let's say they take a step back and the Howard, Howard and Millsap don't work well together. Schroeder's not quite ready. And, you know, they, they missed the playoffs and they're, you know, they're ninth or 10th in the East. You don't look at it and say, like, man, if we could have kept Horford, you know, like, then it's like, what, then what? You would have been the four seed or the five seed, you know? Right. Like, I think that that crew had kind of had its run, and in some ways, you know, you, you don't want to make a move just to make a move, but I'm not against switching it up like they did. Yeah, they had 48 wins, and guess who else had 48 wins? The Heat, the Celtics, and the Hornets. So they watched the Celtics and the Hornets essentially vault up to their level, and they watched the Raptors surpass them during that time. A change was needed. Is Dwight Howard the necessary change? I don't know, and I don't think so. We'll see. I mean, it gives them another dimension. I mean, they wanted Horford back. I shouldn't make it sound like they were right. swapping him. Yeah. Uh, you know, swapping him straight up, but... Um, yeah, I don't know where this team's going right now, and we kind of touched on that with KL as well. Um, but it, it's going to be interesting just to kind of see what, what direction they take as, as Millsap's contract situation comes up. But the other thing I wanted to mention quick is just the lack of experience on this bench. I mean, Malcolm Delaney might open the regular season as your backup point guard. 
Um, you know, Tim Hardaway is probably your backup shooting guard. Yeah, the wing is interesting because of Cephalosha and then Benbury and Prince, the two rookies. But you know, it's very rare that that any rookie is a positive impact player. Um, you know, from from a plus minus perspective. So, you know, I, I think long term, those two guys are really interesting, Prince and Benbury. But if we're just talking about this season, I don't know how much they're really going to help. So, you know, if, if there's any injury to a guy like Millsap, to Bazemore, to Corver, uh, this team I think could could sink pretty quickly. It's funny, we're doing these in reverse order of the standings last year. Now we come to Miami, and I think it's a team that has a lot of glaring issues. Um, and it's funny that they're a third-to-last team that we're talking about. Obviously, the the exodus of Wade, the unfortunate uh, happenings to Chris Bosh. Um, but it's funny that this is the third-to-last team we're going to talk about, and I think we could spend 30 minutes talking about their weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously we're going off of last season standings, not projecting where the teams are going to finish this year. I mean, I think Miami's going to take a big step back. Um, you know, I do they trade Drogic at some point? James is convinced that's happening. I could see it. I, I, they're, they're in such a tough spot. You know, the Wade thing was odd, and obviously how the Bosch situation has played out and re-signing Whiteside. I, I don't think anybody on this roster is really safe right now, maybe outside of Justice Winslow. Yeah, and and for me, there's a lack of leadership. I don't know where it's going to come from. Uh, you know, you kind of look at the contracts uh, and say, you know, well, who, who's making the most money? Let's just assume that they're probably the leader. Hassan Whiteside, I just don't see him being a leader on this team. Um, Justice Winslow, you know, we're just a couple of ways, a couple of years away from him being a bona fide leader. I think if he wants to be, but he's just not quite ready to be vaulted in that position. Like you said, Goran Dragic. Who knows if he's coming or going? I think he's got one foot in the door, one foot out. Who's going to bleed? Who's going to step up and be a leader on a team where he thinks he's almost out the door anyway? And I think if you just don't have that leadership, I think Spolster's great, and I think he can provide that from a coaching role. But in terms of on the court, I just see a lack of maturity and a lack of direction in this team. What are you talking about, man? Deion Waiters in this backcourt? No, yeah, uh, yeah, and I didn't even mention Waiters. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean it's. It's an interesting, you know, kind of combination of guys here. You know, Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson, we know this organization likes both of those guys, but it's like, you know, what what is their real upside? You know, I think they're probably borderline starter guys at best. So, you know, I, I think we'll, we'll, Miami will be a very interesting team. You know, I think as as we get a few months into the season and, and teams start to kind of figure out where they stand in the East and, um, you know, Miami is going to be mentioned, I think, in a lot of potential trade discussions. So, you know, as far as right now what this roster looks like, spacing is going to be an issue. You know, Winslow really couldn't shoot it at all from three last year. Derek Williams has been shaky in that regard. Hassan Whiteside obviously doesn't give you anything there. Uh, and then, you know, Dragic, who's more of a pass-first point guard. I think this team this team is probably one of my favorites to, you know, lead the league in, in fewest points. So I guess trail the league. I don't know, what, is, what would you say, finish last in scoring? I don't know. I think they'll, they'll be challenging the Nets. There, there will be nights where, where Miami struggles to get to 80 points. Uh, Toronto. Front court, uh, Jared Sullinger, Patrick Patterson, Jonas Valanciunas is not a proven commodity in this league. By no means is he proven. Is he solid? Sure, but that shows you the state of the center position in this league if Jonas Valanciunas is considered a top center. I, I, I just think it, it just shows the lack of depth at the position as a whole. Um, as you're going to get into, Nick, and I'll let you get into it, you just can't rely on two guys, especially when they play, you know, basically point guard and shooting guard. It's just going to be tough. Uh, Damari Carroll is trying to bridge that gap between the front court and the back court, uh, but I think it's just incredibly lopsided. 
Uh, that said, you know, they're going to be the second or third seed in the East. So yes, it's a glaring hole, but it's just too big of a mountain to overcome Cleveland. Um, and so I, I think despite these flaws, they're still going to be a solid two, three seed. Probably. Yeah. I, I could see Toronto taking a step back. I mean, it, it does seem to me at least that like Lowry DeRozan have kind of played over their heads for an extended period of time now. And maybe that just means that this is the players that they are now. Um, but I mean, your, your two best players are, are all-stars and, and rightfully so, but you know, you just don't quite see that same upside, you know, the Lowry, you know, what is he? 30, 31. Um, you know, DeRozan has never really improved as an outside shooter. Um, you know, they've gotten better as overall players and obviously to the point that they, you know, almost took the East in the regular season last year. Um, but you know, both players have struggled in the playoffs. I, I just, I think Toronto needed to make a real splash type of move to jump from, you know, seed two through four in the East to really challenging Cleveland. And they failed to do that this off season. I don't think Jared Sullinger was that move at all. Uh, we'll see, you know, if, if a team like, like Atlanta, you know, starts slow and then looks into moving Millsap with that contract coming up, Toronto kind of makes sense to me as one of the teams that would come calling, but I just don't know, <clears throat> excuse me, what you give up if you're Toronto, you know, you, you have, you have, you know, Norman Paul, Terrence Ross, um, you know, Damari Carroll, we didn't really get to see a ton of last year, at least at his peak with, with, with the knee injuries. So, um, they're in a weird spot. You know, I think they still need one more key piece to, to really jump into that next tier. All right, let's go into, let's finish strong, basically. Cleveland Cavaliers. I think biggest weakness for me, I talked about them having like kind of an older bench, them resigning J.R. Smith helps. Biggest weakness for me is their own motivation to get through the season. I think they might actually view it as a struggle just to, from a mental aspect, get from game one to 82 in terms of when it really matters because it's a foregone conclusion that this team is going to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals and everybody knows that, including them. And I think it is mentally hard to get up for, you know, a, a cold December night in Salt Lake City or something like that. Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, I think, you know, they're they're going to pace themselves, uh, themselves smartly. Um, to me, the, the lack of defense or potential lack of defense in the backcourt uh, is going to be an issue. Um, you know, J.R. Smith's gotten better in that regard. Shumpert's still Shumpert, but Kyrie Irving's still not a great defender. He's a passable defender now. Uh, but beyond him, the you know the defense at the point guard spot, I think is going to suffer losing Delvadova. Um, and the other thing to me is age. You know, you have younger guys, Love and Kyrie, and then you know Jr. and Shump. Those core guys are are all you know entering or in their primes, which is great. But you know, at some point, LeBron's going to slow down. Is it this year? You know, probably not. But you know, at some point, we're going to see a little bit of regression at least. And and where the age really comes in is with this bench. I mean, your backup power forward is Channing Frye, who's you know just kind of a spot up shooter at this point. Richard Jefferson gave you you know maybe the twenty best games of the last few years for him at the end of last season. Uh, you know, can he do that again? James Jones, uh, Mike Dunleavy, kind of I guess their biggest you know outside addition this off season. And and even him, I, I do wonder about, you know, is he anything more than just a catch and shoot guy at this point? Yeah. And these weaknesses besides mine, but your, your, you know, your X's and O's defense or um, weakness comes into play more so in the finals. And, and I think that's, uh, that's for this team is when we really only care about weaknesses. And, you know, when you or I, or you or James talk about uh, Western conference, I think that'll be said about the Warriors too. And, and probably the Spurs and the Clippers is when you talk about the weakness, 
weaknesses, you know, we're really looking way ahead. We're not looking game to game necessarily um, when we're talking about these elite teams. And so we say the bench could be in trouble, but what we really mean is they're going to struggle against the Warriors. Their bench is going to struggle in the finals. Right. And, you know, Cleveland, I think, kind of bought themselves some time by, by winning the finals, I guess, last year, which, you know, obviously goes without saying. But, you know, we're not going to be evaluating them on a game-to-game basis, you know, like yeah. we were for so much of last season. The coaching is presumably settled now. Um, so I, I think they'll be able to coast kind of freely. You know, they, they can drop two or three in a row in the middle of the season, and it won't be, you know, massive panic like it was for a lot of last year. So I think that helps them. All right, that'll wrap it up for the East. Uh, we'll do the West probably later this week or early next week, like we said. Uh, but we'll be back talking with Eric Name tomorrow. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.